It's the Braincast, Braincast, the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, listen to the show Because you're in for the PopBrain.com Braincast, Braincast, oh Hello there, and welcome to the Anniversary Brothers podcast presented by The Pop Break. Today, we are talking about a classic movie and in its 40th anniversary, Superman 2 from 1980. Uh, as always, we're here to talk about your favorite movie and TV anniversaries. And as usual, I am joined by my brother, Aaron. Aaron, say hi to the folks at home. Hey. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about Superman 2, which um, I know this is a... Like I said, it's a classic, um, definitely one of the earlier uh, superhero movies. Well, not earlier compared to like the, the really old black and white ones. but Yeah, and you're forgetting like the, Superman versus the moment. Okay, I'd say this is kind of the start of somewhat more modern. Yeah, oh, totally. Like this is the start of the modern superhero movie. So, um, and obviously Superman 1 and 2 are both very uh, iconic films and ones that have a lot of love and a lot of um fondness in fans hearts so uh yeah we thought we would honor its 40th anniversary um it came out let's see in june in the united states um actually it's release dates were all over the place it looked like i'm very confused by these release dates anyway it, it, you know we're, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary um, and Aaron, this was one of your decisions. Uh, what, what made you decide to add this to our list? Uh, there wasn't a lot for October and, um, I know this is, I will go into Superman movies and where like, I guess they rank for people. Um, I think for a lot of people, this is the best Superman movie. I think this is, if not the first one, definitely, you know, this one is very highly regarded. Um, like you said, it's very iconic um, in, in a way that like, I feel like all other Superman movies tried to kind of copy this one. In, in your opinion, what, what makes it so iconic? Um, I think the, the main reason is the villains. Honestly, I think because um, you have in the first movie, uh, Lex Luthor is the villain, but you don't really have anybody to go toe to toe with Superman. Uh, mm. They introduce and they actually introduce um, and we'll go into the production of this movie a little bit later, but um, they introduce um, Zod, um, mm. Ursa and Nan actually in the first movie, um, if I'm not mistaken, um so they've already been set up, but they are other Kryptonians. They're criminals, um, and they have all the powers that Superman has. So this is the, you know, you know, you can consider Lex Luthor to be a supervillain, you know, but not he's not an actual super person. So, uh, yeah, I think, it, it, you know, it really ups the, the stakes, you know, uh, from the first movie. Right, because I, I think you're totally right in that the first movie doesn't really have a 
a physical challenge for Superman um, is as much as just a like a race against the clock to to do all the things. Like there's there's no um, doubt that he can kind of solve and fix the problems set up by Luthor. It's just a matter if he has time to do it. Where in this, it's like, oh wow, does does Superman have the the strength and ability to match up against uh, every other? So. I guess on that note, before we get into anything else, Aaron, would you mind giving a, a brief rundown of the plot? Okay, so uh, Superman 2 follows pretty closely after Superman 1. Um, Superman is... Uh, he is getting a little uh, jealous of Lois, uh, you know... Or, or it's just raised, rather, Clark is getting jealous of... Lois's obsession with Superman um, and her obsession leads her to discover that Clark and Superman are the same person um, and a lot of the movie deals with their relationship uh, you know whether they can be together what choices he has to make if he's going to live a normal life um, and the consequences of that because while he's away with Lois these three Kryptonian criminals led by General Zod have broken out of the Phantom Zone and are taking over the Earth. And that's basically it. Yeah. No, that, that, that was a good summary. Um, and we should say the, the movie begins um, with how they escaped the Phantom Well, it, it begins with how they were sent to the Phantom Zone for their crimes and then how they were released um, because early in the movie, Superman throws a, uh, a hydrogen bomb into space and it explodes. And as a result, it releases them from the Phantom Zone, which is, you know, kind of silly. And I don't know if the effects of that part are the best. But um, wh- what did you think of that opening sequence with the, the terrorists in Paris um, and Superman going to stop them? Uh I remember when I first saw it, I'm like, this is a sort of a weird plot. It, it, you know, it's not connected to anything. It's just basically there to break the bad guys out of the Phantom Zone. Um, I think it's, but, you know, watching it again. Oh, we never even talked about when we uh, first saw this movie. Oh, yeah, I, I, I missed that one. Uh, I actually have no idea when I first saw this. Do you remember? I remember seeing... A good portion of it on TV, um, either like during middle school or like high school. And then I remember we rented the first two Superman movies um, and watched them sometime later. That's my recollection. Okay. Uh, yeah, that I, I have a hard time remembering, but I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Or I have no reason to think you're wrong. But um, anyway, so yeah, that was when we first saw it. But um, you said the originally that scene in Paris at the whole um, terrorist plot in Paris seemed a little um, odd to you or didn't really fit into you? Yeah, just a little bit. It seemed uh, sort of tangential. But um, I don't know. Watching it again, uh, I liked it a little bit more. Uh I think that I, I I like what they do with Lois. Like Lois 
is absolutely crazy and like she's like <laughs> it's like okay whatever reporter's got to do gonna you know hang off the side of the elevator to get the story so and I, I thought that was entertaining yeah i i agree i remember seeing i like i, I said i don't remember too much about seeing it the first time but i do remember a sense of that that opening being a little odd like oh they're going to paris i did not expect this movie to take place you know outside of uh, metropolis that much uh, but i really did like that scene this viewing um, and it is ridiculous to see the lengths that Lois is going to go to to um, break a story. It's like, are you out of your mind? Like, I, they have that one um, image when she's looking down the elevator shaft because she's hanging from below the elevator. It's like, no, no way. Would would not do. I mean, the the movie also brings into, uh, I guess, raises the question for me: like, how fast is Superman? Because he gets from. I assume Metropolis is somewhere on the east coast of the United States to Paris uh, within it looks like a matter of Paris um, would be destroyed and Lois would not have any story because she'd be dead. So that it's it's a it's a weird sequence, um, especially considering how. I think the first movie does a lot to show Superman saving people, but it's almost in a um, like, Oh, these are natural disaster things or, Oh, these are things that Lex Luthor started. Like the, the terrorists don't really fit in at all. Um, and so it's kind of a, an out of the blue story. Um, and I guess we never really find out what happens afterwards with the terrorists. <laughs> like Superman doesn't go down and arrest them as far as we know uh, or what, but it's exciting. I think. Yeah, um, they never really like, I think they're saying they're holding the city, the ransom. We don't get a whole lot of details about who the terrorists are. They seem to be a French terrorist group, but like, we don't really know like really what their motivations are. They're just there for the plot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just something there to explain how Zod and the others got out, but it works in it. It's a it's an exciting introduction to Superman. I think I I like it um, in that it, it gives the the movie some action to start with, and it, it really kind of gets the um, the more exciting parts of this movie set it up from the start. I think the only problem is that after that, the movie does slow down um, for like the next hour or so like there's not there's not much that goes on um action wise until uh, i guess the clo- uh, the best is like um when when zod and his his friends go to that small town um but even that's not really action as much as just them destroying things right yeah throwing people through like barns and arm wrestling people right but there's not really any action or like um combat or whatever and until Superman finally fights them but that's not till much later in the film so before we get to that um, wanted to see what your thoughts were on on the villains I know you said that um, you feel like they lent to the iconic nature of it so what did you think of uh, General Zod 
Ursa and Nan, uh, played by, I had it here, let's see, Zod, played by Terrence Stamp, Nan, played by Jack O'Halloran, and Ursa, played by Sarah Douglas. So what did you think of their performances and, and their characters? Um, I, I like them as villains. Um, I mean, obviously, Zod is super iconic. Terrence Stamp, like, for, I feel like for most people, is Zod. Um, you know, he, he just has a, you know, commands such an authority. Um, um, I like Ursa also. Um, not as the only one I really don't like that much. He, they don't like, like, he's some sort of like, he's also, he's more like a grunt. Um, which is appropriate because that's all he does is grunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So not as a mute so he's a mute yeah i i guess they were like they wanted to have a different character but just like i was not particularly amused by uh i don't know i feel like it's a missed opportunity to make him a more interesting character yeah that i mean they all have their thing zod's the leader ursa collects trophies kind of and he's mm. mute, but I am going to somewhat disagree with that. Um, I will agree that Nan is probably of the three of them the the least interesting, but I actually found him somewhat fun, and I found myself somewhat rooting for him in a weird way throughout the movie. Um, oh, well, frankly, like when he's practicing his heat vision. Yeah, there's something really sweet about that is like no he's just still figuring stuff out and And before he kills people well yeah but then even like when um the uh confronted by the the small town cops and non goes up and he he rips the um the light off of the police car because zod says he likes it oh yeah he's he's sort of like like a dumb puppy (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no, that's really what I like about him is that he's really just there to, um, you know, he just wants to make his friends happy. And he's just like, I, I don't know what's going on here. Like, I'm not coming up with the plans. Like, I just found you guys around and we doing whatever. Um, and to be fair, I thought they were also pretty rude to him on uh, Krypton when they sentenced him, saying that he was uh, without thought as he is without voice. It's like, dude, that's not cool. Like, Yes, he's, he's, he, he doesn't speak, but don't need to go after his intelligence. Um, so I, I, I found something uh, something about him really drew me to him. Um, but definitely um, Ursa and Zod are the, the real standouts. And um, Ursa in particular, um, I think mostly because Zod, he has this intimidating factor about him but for a lot of the movie he just kind of stands there and lets the two of them do all of the dirty work for him and so ursa i found more threatening because she was the one who was actually destroying things while zod was kind of like telling everyone to kneel over and over again right so and then to remind me terrence stamp i feel like i've seen him in something else but i can't think of what oh i got it okay he was (laughs) he was in the phantom menace yeah, he was Chancellor of Valorum. Yeah, yeah, that's what he was. Uh, you know, pretty much the same exact role. Uh, yeah. After he was done conquering Earth, he went to, to, to Coruscant. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, Aaron, so you, I know once again, it's talking about Zod though. Um, what, what do you think makes him, um, a, a villain that I think Superman films and Superman, um, comics, just any Superman medium keeps going back to Like, what is it about Zod that seems to be such a, you know, such a, a monumental character for everyone? Um, I think in some way he's like a dark version of Superman. Like this is like the authoritarian Superman could have become like Superman could have come to earth and conquer everybody and tell everybody to kneel before him. Like that's, mm-hmm. um, so he's like sort of like the polar opposite. I don't know. Do you think that has something to do with it? I think I think that's a big part of it. I think the other part is just his presence. Yeah. Just how like commanding he is. Because really when we get down to what we know about him, we don't know much about Zod from this movie. Like we we see in the beginning that he and the others are going and like breaking a crystal for some reason and we know that they're you know, criminals on Krypton, but we never really understand or are told all of what they've done, just that they were in prison for it. Right. Um, I don't know if it's this one or they, they mentioned it. Other, like, supposedly he was supposed to launch some sort of insurrection against, I guess, the Kryptonian government, but we don't get a lot of, you know, details. Right. And that's something I think I've, I've picked up from other Superman stories but I, it's not something that really came up in this. It just he's presented as he's a criminal. He's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's the leader. Um, right. And there's not much to it from that. Um, but he's just he's got this booming voice and just the way that he immediately wants to like put everyone beneath him. I mean, um, is, even, can we can we talk about that? I mean, his best scene, in my opinion, and I think you would agree, is when they stormed the White House. Oh, yeah. That's that's a really good one. Yeah, they storm the White House, just completely wreck everything. Um, yeah. And then, and, and I like how they, they have the president have a decoy, because they didn't show his face when he was shown earlier. So they're like, by the time you come back to it, you probably forgot what he even sound like. Uh, uh, so, and then it's like, there was one guy who's pretending to be the president. Zod immediately knows he's not the president. And then he's, you know, he forces the president to kneel before him. And, you know, he, you know, president says he'll do it if he'll save lives and stuff like that. Um, right. And then, uh, Obviously, you know, the president fathoming the what he's just done says, oh, God. And he says, Zod, correcting him, which is supposed both funny and like really like, I don't know. Like, that's like such a great villain moment. Right. And, yeah. and, and just there's so many things about that scene. You know, it's like you, I see your cousin the worshiping things that fly when he sees the presidential seal. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think it's it's that level of contempt and this idea that you know he 
just views everyone else around him as insects. And it's, it makes him just such a, a hateable villain, but one who I, I like, I, I know one thing I want to talk about is the campiness of it. And I don't, I, I would consider him to be campy. Um, but there's also like a level of, I'm not sure what I'm like, like drama to it. Like he, he's very melodramatic in ways that reminds me sort of, more of a of a disney villain like he's kind of like like an ursula almost like i see him just like doing a a maniacal laugh in the background after doing something but then like giving a steel like cold stare to the camera like i never laugh (laughs) i i don't know i i think he he definitely earns um his fame in this movie and i i just i guess i wish we just had a little bit more of what his deal was because obviously we know that um, he was a criminal before and that now that they're on earth, he and the other two have powers, but I mean, they didn't have any powers before. So like, what did they do? Like, how were they so formidable beforehand? Like, is it just because Zod is, you know, ruthless? Like, like, is he also like a good, um, you know, good at strategy? Cause in this, we don't really see any of that. It's more just like, you know, brutal, just like go in and just do whatever it takes to get power. So mm-hmm. um, talking about villains, I think we definitely need to talk about Lex Luthor. Yes. Played by uh, legendary actor Gene Hackman. Um, and we've, ta- I know you and I have definitely, when we've been talking about Superman, just on any occasion, we've talked about like, who is our favorite Lex Luthor what do we think of, you know, this guy or that guy? Um, Gene Hackman is, I don't, I don't, he's probably not the first live action one. Cause I guess there was probably one for the TV show in the fifties. Uh, I can find out. I'm not sure. Um, he's definitely the most notable actor who's played Lex Luthor. But, um, while you're looking out, I will say that, um, I really enjoyed, uh, him he's more of a comic relief character in this movie um but um i don't know i just found his antics to be so amusing like um he's not like the lex luthor that we've kind of come to know when they sort of reinvented him as sort of like a scheming industrialist and stuff like that Mm. Um, because there was a time in the comics where he was more like a mad scientist and this is more like a criminal mastermind who has bumbling sidekicks. Yes. So, and there's, there's a definitely, there's more like, he's so different from like, say the Lex Luthor from, uh, the animated series, who's like completely serious or uh, the one from Smallville, who's even more serious. Mm. Uh, but no, I just, he has, he, he's not in the movie actually that much. He kind of disappears after they introduce him. Um, but just like, I don't know, like he is smart, but like he kind of thinks he's a little smarter than he really is. Mm hmm. Um, and you know, I just enjoy his interactions with, uh, with Zod and Superman. Uh, I love that he wants Australia. (laughs) 
and I just I, I, he just has a swagger uh, to him. Before. He just you know waves a handkerchief, walks into the Oval Office, puts his feet up on the desk, and smokes a cigar. Yeah, he is smarmy. I would say. Yeah. And, um, to answer your question, so there was one other uh, actor who played Lex Luthor live action. And that was in the second Superman serial, Adam Man versus Superman from 1950. And he was played by Lyle Talbot. Okay, so basically one nobody remembers. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm glad you brought him up because I almost forget about him in this movie, which is weird because Lex Luthor is such a a big character, even though he doesn't have... He has top billing. He has billing before Christopher Reeve. Right. Yeah, so he has top billing. He does have like such, like he really takes up a lot of presence when he's on screen. But I, I think it's because I'm just not particularly fond of this depiction of Lex Luthor. Like I think maybe not the depiction. I, I, I really like Gene Hackman's performance. I don't particularly like this um, idea of Lex Luthor as just a real estate swindling uh con man and who's like it's going around and always like saying like i'm the the world's greatest criminal genius like there's something about that that is a little too on the nose for me okay um he's like yes lex luther is obviously a criminal genius and in most of his depictions that we are aware of but uh it just is a bit goofy that he has to go out and present that every time and that, that was something else that was funny uh, between him and Zod is like every time uh, Zod is threatening to kill him, uh, Luther just goes like becomes incredulous like, like what me? The greatest criminal mastermind of our time? Me? <laughs> um, so that it's really funny, but it's also kind of just a bit much. Um, so maybe I just prefer my Superman, uh, my, my, or I should say my Lex Luthor is a little bit more serious. Um, you mentioned the animated series one. Uh, I think Clancy Brown is amazing in all of his performances throughout the different series he's done. Um, I think the, the one in Smallville um, is good. It's, it's weird as Smallville is as a series. I think uh, Michael Rosenbaum did a, a really fantastic job in that. And I think Gene Hackman, like I said, I think he does a good job in this. It's just I, I don't particularly like the whole real estate angle. Like I'm not quite sure why they went that route. Yeah, okay, I can see. Um, And, you know, that just might be because what we've been exposed to, you know, being born after this movie had already been out. You know, Lex, like I said, Lex Luthor has been kind of many things throughout the comics. So he's they've reinvented him one or two times. Yeah, I think my, my problem is that I find him more formidable when he has a lot of established wealth and he has um, like all of this um, technology behind him. Like I basically like Lex Luthor best when he's the um, like the anti Tony Stark. Like if, if Tony Stark decided to use all of his, his profits and all of his technology for his own personal gain um, and to, you know, fight other heroes, like, that's that's when I, I feel like Lex Luthor is the most compelling. Um, but th- there's something so charming about Gene Hackman, um, even as he is, you know, this kind of 
self-absorbed uh, one-track mind. I will literally betray anyone to get what I want villain. Um, which I should say, I feel pretty bad for Otis in the first part of this movie. Yeah, I mean, but I feel like there, there was there was just not room for him in the movie. I feel like they, they had too many characters as is, so. Yeah. Uh, did, was there anything that stuck out to you about that first part when Luther and, and Otis are in jail? No, it just, just kind of seemed like an extension of the first movie. But uh, we actually haven't talked too much about Superman himself. Yes, I was gonna gonna pivot to that next. Um, yeah, so I know we just talked about um, for four different Luth- Lex Luthor uh, performances and depictions. Um, how do you feel about the way that Superman and Clark Kent are um, depicted in this one? Well, we can go into like the plot of the movie, but like, listen, Christopher Reeve is like perfect as Superman. I mean, everybody thinks so, and it's basically true. You know, as Clark Kent, he's so, uh, you know, endearingly bumbling. Um, and then as Superman, I don't know there's there's this sort of. I mean, I I, I don't think that the Superman movies have never tried to uh, shy away from like the sort of Christ likeness of Superman. Uh, to the point where some people are like, okay, enough with like the Christ metaphors. We get it. Um, (laughs) But like, he definitely has that in this movie and the way that Christopher Reeve portrays him. There's sort of that or like an angelicness to him. But yeah, like uh, he's just basically, I think everything you would, you know, in the traditional like concept of Superman, everything kind of you would want in him and Clark Kent. Uh, you know, he's, you know, you know, he's warm and inviting, but also has a sort of like otherworldliness to him. Uh, and then as Clark Kent, you know, he's just so lovably goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel the same way? Oh, yeah, totally. And thinking of the, the previous podcast we've done on the different Batman films and shows where there's a debate. Um, and I'd say a pretty lively debate that can be made about who the best Batman is. I feel like there is none of that for Superman that it is just. It's Christopher you know, Reeve. That's like yeah. no question. Yeah. Like no, no one's arguing that Christopher Reeve um, isn't the best. Like he is, he is by far um, and be- by far the most beloved and recognized Superman. Um, as much as I um, am a defender of Superman returns, I, I will readily admit that Christopher Reeve is it's, you know, much better than Brandon Routh, um, especially since Brandon Routh is just doing a Christopher Reeve impression in that movie. So um, I think the only other thing I think of is, you know, uh, Snyder stand boys who are, you know, going to uh, going to go out and defend um, Man of Steel as much as they can. But even like that, I feel like it's it's hard to. um to say that the right i think there are elements this isn't a man of steel podcast but i think there are elements in that movie where he sort of channels reeve like when Mm -hmm. he's like with the army and lois and stuff like that and i think they they kind of lost that in batman versus superman where he's much he's a very broody superman which is unusual 
Yes. And then they sort of try to make him into the Christopher Reeve Superman in Justice League, and it feels totally unearned. Yeah, no, that doesn't work at all. Um, and 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 even if they like as like even if it was earned or not, it, the performance is just like a pale imitation. So yeah, yeah. And that's and I will say like I think Henry Cavill is a wonderful actor. Just if you're comparing Superman performances, Christopher Reeve has to be on the top. Like if if you're if you're creating a, a Mount Rushmore of Superman performances, it's 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 really just Christopher Reeve. Like everyone else is a tier below. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very lonely route much more, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I love his, his Clark Kent. Uh, I think his Clark Kent is actually the thing I love most about this movie. Um, just, I'd love how innocent and you, you mentioned bumbling, but there's also something about him that you, you can see like that balance between, okay, he is putting on an act. But part of this is actually who he is. Like, it sometimes seems, and and they mentioned that earlier when, um, when Lois asked him, like, like how how is it that you can be Clark all the time? And Superman says, like, well, I'm quite fond of Clark, um, and I, I think that's a perfect word because I'm also incredibly fond of Clark in this. Um, and you mentioned, um, I think the part where he has to save Lois's life um at niagara falls or maybe you didn't mention that um but like the whole time when he's like i need to save lois but i can't reveal that i'm superman like how am i gonna do this and there's it's it's such a funny performance because you realize like well like clark why aren't you just like giving it up like are you that sure that you can save lois or like what's what's going on here like this is going on for way too long if you could just go in and soup and save her um and then the next scene he, he immediately trips as clark does and falls right into the fire it's like well clark you went through all that trouble just to to trip and ruin your secret anyway so good job bud (laughs) um Uh, and the superman is just i think there is i think the closest um description i have for any other superhero depiction um since this superman is probably chris evans is captain america like they both have this sort of um heroic um motivational presence to them that you know at, you know you can see how they could lead people um to you know to change and to do better and i think uh, it's it's going to be hard for them to ever find right any- no i i agree chris evans definitely channels a lot of christopher reeve um I think the difference is that he actually has a little Clark Kent in him, but like, unlike a disguise, that kind of is who he is. And I think a lot of that has to do with, he, he never really grew out of being that scrawny kid from Brooklyn and the fact that he's a guy from, you know, from the forties now in the present day, but this is not a Captain America podcast. I know you could, uh, talk at lengths about captain america but um next year is the 10th anniversary maybe we'll talk about okay i guess i guess i can wait that long um anyway but so yeah i i think we're pretty much on the same page that this version of superman and and clark kent are um standouts uh what about lois um i i know um this depiction of lois lane 
um, by Margot Kidder is one of the most famous, but I, I don't know if she necessarily gets as much credit as, um, as Christopher Reeve does. Mm-hmm. I, I like her a lot in this. Um, you know, she, she's spunky. Uh, she's, uh, I will, I will say that like, I, I want to say like she's very career driven, but not, like obviously like, you know, Superman is such a big part of her character that you, you can't really separate her from it. I mean, that's always been the case with Lois Lane. There, yeah. There is no Lois Lane without Superman. You know, it's it's not like she's not a superhero. She's not, you know, you know, you know, a fully established side character. It's, you know, it's Lois and Clark. Right, which is why there are now going to be two separate TV series all about that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Now that the CW is having its own Superman and Lois show following the Lois and Clark show from the 90s. Right? 90s? 80s? Am I going to mix it up? 90s, I believe. Okay. Um, I mean, in terms of thinking of the other actresses that have um, portrayed Lois Lane, uh, it sounds like you, you enjoy... Um, Kidder's performance. Do you rank her as highly above her counterparts as you do uh, Christopher Reeve above his? Uh, I would say. I mean, we're talking about live action. She's at the top. I really like the actress who does her in the animated series. I just think she's wonderful, um, and she's a little more sassy. I think. But um, I yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I agree one thousand percent. I don't know. Um, Look, Amy Adams is a great actress. Nobody's gonna yes. dispute that. Um, I just don't think that Lois Lane is really one of her best characters. And Kate Bosworth is fine in. Um, if anything, she has a little more going on than. Amy Adams, but again, she's kind of copying Margot Kidder a little bit, but not quite as much as Brandon Routh was as uh, Christopher Reeve. Mm. Yeah, no, that's accurate. And I just looked up, it's uh, Dana Delaney or Delaney is the voice of Lois Lane in the, the Superman animated series. And, oh yeah, she's great. Oh, she's she is my favorite Lois Lane um, by far. But um, yeah, of the live action... Uh, Marco Kidder's the best. Um, and I know I, I, I don't want to upset uh, Marissa and Matt because I know how much they love Amy Adams. But yeah, Amy Adams just kind of wasted in those movies. She would have been better for like an actual superhero, I feel like. Like like not Wonder Woman, but like any, I don't know. They could have figured out to, um, I don't know. If even I was just like spitballing, like if this is supposed to be like an older Batman like and they didn't do a Batgirl movie. They she could have been like Oracle or something. I'm just thinking. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they could have done a lot more with Amy Adams. But once again, this is not a, uh, a Man of Steel podcast as much as I keep trying to make it. Apparently, um, yeah, I think the 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 one thing about Lois Lane in this movie that I always find a little odd is how much 
the humor is pinned on her. At least I don't, I wouldn't say she's comic relief, um, but she is expected to add a lot of the humor. Like, and I think that goes with her dynamic with Clark. Like they're supposed to be like this, this, um, like two act uh, comedy show that just plays off each other where, you know, Clark can like look at the camera and be like, Oh, shucks. She doesn't know I'm Superman. Um, but even as she's like, for some reason wants orange juice, like freshly squeezed orange juice or wherever they go, she's hungry. Like it's just random things like that, that I, they don't necessarily add much to, um, her character, but they, they do add to the humor of the movie. Yeah, there. I would describe their relationship. Well, before she discovers he's Superman, as cute. And I so going off of that, like the the part of this movie where she learns that he's Superman. I mentioned that in Space Clark uh, trips in their um, their hotel room because they're on assignment at Niagara Falls to um, to try to find out some information on this honeymoon scam so they're posing as a newly married couple um what did you think of that whole sequence of them in in niagara falls uh i know it went on for a little longer than i wanted but um it's all just um to you know move the plot along and then she discovers that he's superman um i think his honestly i think that I mean, I don't know. I've never tripped into a fire, so I don't know, like, how badly your hand would be burnt immediately uh, falling into it. I felt like he should have been in the fire a little longer to, like, really, like, his arm should have caught fire and stuff like that or something mm. like that. Like, to really, like, be like, okay, there's, like, indisputable evidence that he is Superman. Like, he's not burned whatsoever, not just, like, his hand was in there for a second. Yeah. That is a a good um, a good point, and I think the movie almost acknowledges that when uh, Lois implies that Clark wanted to do that, like he wanted to reveal himself, and so it was like somewhat uh, like his subconscious made him trip, which is it's an interesting angle. It is. It is. I, I feel like. This, this sequence does go on too long and so part of me wishes that they just had asked superman um during that earlier segment when lois jumps into the river so that um she can prove that he's superman part of me wishes that it, as funny as it is to see him uh go through all the trouble of trying to save her without revealing himself part of me wishes they just use that sequence to finally reveal it rather than kind of draw it out longer than it needs to be right um but um she finds out he's superman um i don't know there's uh, just i I don't know that scene is really like there it's not there's not attention but it's just like oh no what is he gonna do and he just takes off his glasses and admits it yeah i love how he like I don't know if he hits his hand or if he just like, like he, you can see how frustrated he is. He's like, dang it. Like I have been trying so hard not to let her know. And I just screwed up. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, he takes her to the fortress of solitude. Um, a big part of their relationship in this movie is that uh, 
he gives up his powers for her. Uh, he it's according to I don't know the rules, you know that the Kryptonians in this case, like the hologram of his mom, he can't be both Superman and Clark Kent. <laughs> And he has to give up his powers and live as a human with her. Um, how do you feel about that? Oh, I think that's BS. I, <laughs> yeah. That's so stupid. No, I look, there, there's only one reason why I think that makes sense. And it's the same silly reason that I've seen raised in Smallville is that if Superman and Lois want to sleep together, he has to not have powers, otherwise he'll kill her. <laughs> but that's the only reason I could think of that. Wait, did in they case, say that in Smallville? Um, they don't say it, but there, there's an episode where Lois gets powers, and the first thing that she and Clark do is have sex. Because Are you sure it's not Lana and... Oh, it might be Lana. I, I always get them mixed up. It's, it's Lana or Lois. But the first thing they do is have sex. Now they're like, oh, wow, I won't kill you if I have sex with you. Um, <laughs> and so that's really the only reason I think it makes sense, in which case I would say, Clark, you should probably have a little bit more control of your powers. If you can't you know, sleep with her without killing her, that's probably something about you needing to like hold back a bit. Um, because right after he, he gives up his powers, they immediately go to the bedroom. Um, there, so that's there's conveniently a very big bed in the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, that is, for some reason, covered in tinfoil. <laughs> um, which is how they do the futuristic and the you know alien in this is just tinfoil. Um, so I I think the the reason behind it is is stupid. Um, I think it's necessary though, only because they had to write some way in for. Um, for Superman to beat Zod and the others later. I think that's the only reason they really included it. Otherwise, I think it's a pointless um, episode, even though there's some some cute parts to it. Um, right. They kind of movie could have kind of worked without it because it could have just been he was gone and he comes back and, you know, all this destruction has happened. Yeah. I, I feel like with. They want to present it that like he can't dedicate his life to being in a marriage or whatever with Lois and saving people. But I don't know. They they don't present it enough that like he's constantly having to save people like I, I feel like if they had done more of that, like when he's not at the Daily Planet, like that's his life. And um, actually, the good points to Superman Returns, I feel like they kind of present that in a way where he's floating in space and like listening to like all the like things that are going on on Earth and listening for like who's in trouble. Mm -hmm. Like if they really like present it as like you like obviously you have to have a secret identity, but like when you're not at like when you're not at the Daily Planet. Like your entire life has to be dedicated to, uh, you know, saving everybody. If they had played that up more, mm -hmm. and like, it really, but like, Superman just wants a chance to, you know, do something for himself to have a life out of saving people. Like, I could see it, but like, yeah, I mean, in Man of Steel, Lois finds out he's Superman, and they're together in 
Batman versus Superman. In the comics, they she eventually marries Clark. Um, so it's just like it's sort of it's sort of half baked. Like they just they don't go through with. Um, it, it's it's very similar in a way to the, and they probably look to this movie for it with a uh, Spider-Man. Peter Parker and Mary Jane in the Sam Raimi trilogy. Yeah. And like, and, and, and that more, it's sort of, they, they go a little more to like, you know, he has responsibilities and stuff like that, but also like he has to protect her from the people who would do our harm, which they don't really go into into this. Um, if anything, she's in danger already because that's who Lex, you know, leads Zod and the others to the Daily Planet. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think you're totally right about all that. And I think the other part of it is that, like, they don't even really explain what that fear is. And not to to jump to the end of the movie, but at the at the end, Lois is distraught because she comes to this this conclusion that you know she she can't be with Superman and Clark because either. You know, she's afraid of always having to stay up for him while he's going out and like being in danger or being in danger. He's Superman. He's not, you know, like Batman. He can't actually unless he's fighting Zod. He can't actually be. Well, there's kryptonite. I don't know if she even knows about kryptonite. Maybe that's Uh, something you don't tell her. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But but that's that's the thing. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense because unless there's more Kryptonians, which this is the first time that's happened. Superman is so impervious in these movies that why would she have to be worried about him? And second of all, if she's worried about being in danger, Lois puts herself in danger all the time as is. It doesn't yeah. matter if she has a target on her back. She does it constantly to herself. Uh-huh. Like it, it, it just doesn't make sense. I will uh, say I do like when he goes in the chamber and it like he kind of splits in two like there's like the reflection of him as Superman and the reflection of him as Clark. Uh, now you didn't I, like that. I like the, the you didn't like the part where his face melted. I don't like the face melt. That's just, <laughs> that's just weird and horror. And I have no idea where it came from. I do like the end part where as he leaves the chamber, um, Superman kind of like, stays in the chamber and he comes out. I do like that. That was I cool. like that part. Um, so speaking about the effects uh, of this movie, um what are your well i don't know what your feelings are but my feelings on the effect is this movie has not aged well effects wise like almost at all (laughs) um i think parts of it have aged okay um i think it's very clear that they did not have the technology or the budget to do um the big fights later on in the movie um like especially when um superman gets his powers back um once he finds out everything that zod's been up to and he's fighting um non-ursa and zod in metropolis like the wire work in that is really bad like there's one point where he kicks um, one of them, and you can kind of see you don't you don't see the wires, but you can kind of see how like the wires force him to shift his weight in order to do that, and it just that's not great. Um, and the flying, 
is not awesome either right um, i mean there are times where people are like oh i hate movies now they have all this cgi listen that cgi is a lot better than what they used to have i will say that with some of these effects because they're not great there's sort of an earnestness to them i don't know that's a weird way of putting it there's still I like there's sort of like a phys you know like a physicalness to it that even though it's like all like them being superimposed, there's is still like a physicalness to it that is sort of lost. Certainly like the setting itself feels more real than a lot of these other superhero movies. Like, you know, like they built a set and they wrecked things like when they're blown, you know, all the metropolins, is that how you say metropolins? Uh, sure. Let's go with that. When they're blowing them all around and like everything's flying around like that, like they really did all that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it comes off as a little campy, but they really did all that. Um, yeah. Um, and I, and it, I do want to say that people will kind of rag on, uh, man of steel for the, uh, product placement but there's definitely a good amount of product placement in this movie um particularly in the metropolis fight um where you know you see like the marble truck you see zod get thrown into the huge coca-cola sign yes uh the bus which has a ad for a vita on it mm-hmm. oh yeah so much product placement. i mean he doesn't land in an ihop but uh yeah he doesn't it, land it in an close. ihop right uh but yeah uh i will say that maybe it's just what kind of effects they were trying to do but speaking of like another movie that came out the same year that's aged a lot better effects wise you look at the empire strikes back mm-hmm. it looks i i would think it's aged a lot better um there's there are some things i think the stuff on hoth maybe doesn't look quite as good I think when they have to superimpose in a real setting, but like anything like in space or like the lightsaber still looks a lot better. And that again, it could just be apples and oranges, but that's just my opinion. No, I think that's a good comparison. And I, and that is something that um, came to mind for me as well. Um, Just thinking that, I mean, both Superman one and two came out um, pretty much right at about the same time as the first two star Wars movies. So I think it, that's a fair comparison. Yeah, I, I think say. I think a lot of it has to do with there's more wire work in this. They have to superimpose more things in real settings or in you know in sets. Mm. Um, some effects like having like using the force um, to like uh, grab a lightsaber like that's simple like I guess a wire or whatever like that. It's not like complex flying arounds. That that is that is all good points. Um, well, those are all good points, and I think the the I think the, uh, the other thing about the effects that I think is somewhat telling is how they 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 do their best to hide certain things, um, which doesn't make a lot of sense in my opinion. Um, and and what I mean by that is um, during that fight in Metropolis. Um, there's the one part where Superman and Nan 
both go into the sewers um, underground and they're fighting and like pretty much like the whole city is shaking because of their fight. And you get the sense of like, wow, this is like a real brutal like fist fight going on down there. But we don't see any of it. And that for me felt like an indication of, well, we didn't really feel like we had the budget or ability to show this as much as we wanted to. So we'll just leave it to your imagination. And yet earlier in the movie, when Clark doesn't have his powers and he and Lois are in the diner, they have like this pretty kind of gruesome fight between uh, Clark and just this jerk at the diner, um, which is like, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. There's not much to it, um, but it's pretty brutal um, and upsetting to see. And so I don't understand why they felt they could get away with that, but like they couldn't get away with non and super. All right, yeah, compared. I don't want to say like that fight is better than the other fight because it's not really much as a fight as that guy kicking Clark's butt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to go a little bit into the production history of this movie because this movie has a very troubled history production wise. Right. And I know that's something that I was um, some different cuts in the movie that I know you had seen. I know you're going to get into, but um, I, I guess I wasn't as aware of how troubled this production was um, as I could have been. Uh, I just knew that it was a different director than the first one, although I, from my understanding, it wasn't always a different director. So Superman 1 and 2 were envisioned as sort of a two-part story, which is why they introduced Zod and the others in the first movie. As it was originally conceived when Superman uh, grabs one of the missiles that uh, Lex is threatening or or uses in Superman 1, he throws in the space. That's su- supposed to blow up the, you know, glass phantom zone, whatever thing that Zod and his henchmen are in. Um, that's how it was originally conceived. Mm. Um they decided not to do that and uh, end up having this whole thing with the the nuclear bomb in Paris. Uh, there are apparently a lot of, like, I don't know, just nastiness between the producer and the Richard Donner who directed the first movie to the point where, like, they weren't speaking to each other and um, they were filming the movies like, at, like at the same time like one and two and uh the producer whoever fired him uh fired donner and they brought richard lester so another richard uh <laughs> uh to complete the movie they had already shot like 75 percent of the movie their lester had a different vision than Donner. Donner was a lot more like epic. Uh, Lester was kind of known more for his comedy, so there's a lot more campiness. Uh, his version of Superman 2. And, and yeah, so uh, w- what eventually happened is um, they decided that they were going to take what footage they had, and this was years later, so Lester's version of Superman um was what was put out there in 1980 like Mm. but it was like a huge mess like there was like 
they're actors who didn't were like i don't want to deal with another director you know i liked donner like um i think like i don't know like they i don't know like they had to like they couldn't write any more scenes for like gene hackman i think uh or like marlon brando and marlon brando like asked to be taken out of the movie john williams said like i don't want to do the score it was like a mess so like he's still credited for the themes so that happened in like 2005 or 6 um warner brothers and i don't know richard donner they decided that they wanted to take the footage that he had shot and um you know some footage of what lester had shot and tried to make what was his vision of the movie um, and that's known as Superman two, the Richard Donner cut. Um, I watched that version too. Uh, I thought it was important to watch it. Obviously we're talking about the anniversary of the original version, but I think to get the full scope of, you know, Superman two, you got to talk about both. Um, mm-hmm. the story is largely the same, but like the, the themes behind it and like just what they wanted to express is different. Uh, the biggest thing is that Marlon Brando is in the movie. They don't have uh, Superman's mom who they substituted because Marlon Brando didn't want to be in the original ver- version if, you know, Donner wasn't in it. Um, mm. Which works in a lot of ways works a lot better to sort of like the father and son uh, theme that you know was present in the first movie um so he basically he serves the same role as superman's mom does um i don't know there there are a lot of other things like i said it's less campy so like when they're blowing around uh the people in metropolis you know there's less visual gags um there's less time with zod and the other kind of in the boonies or whatever Mm. and just like other things like lois like has a completely way different way of discovering that clark is superman instead of jumping yeah instead of jumping out of uh you know into the rapids at niagara falls she jumps out of a window at the daily planet she immediately looks at a photo at him in the paper draws glasses and a suit on it and pieces it together um and then he does the whole thing again where he you know you know saves her without actually dressing up as superman um the real different thing is is that he instead of him falling into the fire she threatens to shoot him oh um and then she does and you know since he's not hurt she's a deuce well he must be superman he says well if i was really clark kent i would be dead and she said with a blank uh yeah uh and then the, i don't know there's a lot less of them I don't know the, the 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 way the movie is cut around. It feels more like a work print than like a finished movie. So this kind of cuts around in weird ways. Notably, they sleep together before Clark gives up his powers. So that's different. 
and he, oh, okay. and she doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then uh, then he talks to Marlon Brando, and they go a little bit more into, you know, why he wants to be uh, with Lois, you know, what Jarrell expects of him, you know, that you know if he's going to be happy, it's you know he's going to get the satisfaction of serving the people of earth. That's where he, his happiness is supposed to lie in life. So like you sort of get a little more like why he, uh, wants to give it up, even if it is a sort of ridiculous. And yeah, the, 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 like a, there's, there's not as much visual gags. Uh, they destroy the Washington monument instead of, uh, defacing Mount Rushmore, <laughs> which, I forgot we, about that. um, Superman, when he leads them to the Fortress of Solitude, immediately tricks Zod and Luthor into turning on the machine. He doesn't fight them first or throw that weird S wrapper from his chest <laughs> or make copies of himself, which I don't know. This was kind of the movie where like Superman had way too many powers. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something else I wanted to bring up that I forgot about. Namely, uh-uh. the kiss of forgetting at the end. So I read just right now, apparently that was like a power he had in the comics dating back to uh, like, it's, let's see, it was originally displayed in Action Comics number 306. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, it was I just imagine used. like comic book guy from the Simpsons we're actually in action <laughs> comics 306 yeah I mean yeah it's it's honestly not one of the powers that we typically associate with Superman but yeah with him throwing um like the the s shield wrapper at them and like making copies and then for some reason he and all of the other Kryptonians can use telekinesis by pointing their fingers at things like just random abilities out of nowhere and it, it kind of makes me wonder if like when they were doing, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the secondary filming or when they were having to, to fix things up after they switched directors, if the person had no idea what Superman's powers were. Right. Um, well, if he could do this too, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's goofy at the end. I kind of like the kiss of forgetting better than what they do in the Donner cut. So originally, if you remember in Superman one, uh, one of the missiles, there are two missiles that Luther fires. Uh, one Superman is able to catch the other one. He's unable to stop, which causes a avalanche that kills Lois. Uh, Superman, completely distraught goes and against the warning of Jarrell uh, reverses the earth's rotation to reverse time um, and save Lois. Um, that is what it is. This is not, you know, we don't have to talk about Superman one, whether you like that or not. Um, <laughs> but originally that was the ending they conceived for the end of this two part story that he was going to reverse the earth's rotation and fix everything. So that's 
because they want the Donner cut to be what he originally envisioned. That's how that movie ends. Um, which I don't know. Both of the endings of the movie kind of erase the consequences of this one. Even Lois has like, like Lois is like totally distraught in the, in the theatrical version in the other one in the Donner cut. She's upset, but she kind of, you know, it seems more like she's going to be able to live with it. And like, but him spinning around the world, like completely erases the consequences, like the consequences of that, the consequences of in the Donner cut, the only way Superman can get his powers back is if the consciousness of Jarrell has to sacrifice himself. Um, and at the end, he destroys the Fortress of Solitude. So all of that is erased, basically. So, like, instead of having a really interesting... Sp- I mean, again, it's the Donner cut, so... You know, there there weren't uh, two other Donner movies to explore where that could have gone. But, you know, instead of having things in a really interesting spot where, like... You know, in either movie where Lois knows... Clark is Superman and like they have to deal with that in the next movies um or like Jor-El isn't around anymore you know there's Kiss Forgetting or the Earth's rotations um goes away and I just don't think that's a good way to end a movie it's like to to undo stuff I think it's a little bit worse actually in the Donner cut um because it even like I get it like if Superman can, you know, erase all, you know, you know, the suffering that happened because he was gone, he would, but like, it's just, it's too easy. Um, there's just, there's no consequences. Um, it's just, yeah. So yeah, I really wish that, you know, they could have had another movie, I know I have not seen Superman three and four. I know you've seen a little bit of three and said it wasn't very good. Oh yeah. I saw like very, very little. I barely remember it. Um, for anybody who wants to know Superman three is the movie that makes Richard Pryor somehow unfunny. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, I I wish that, you know, they could have done so much more, I feel like, in the other movies with Clark and Lois's relationship uh, and kind of build off this movie. So it's sort of a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like in either case, there was just this fear of diverging from the status quo and that they felt like they had to somehow keep that original dynamic for whatever reason. Um, I will say not having seen the Donner cut... Uh, I am really glad that this original cut did not use the the time travel elements again because that just would have seemed very lazy to use the same solution for two movies in a row. Right, and again, the reason they put it in is because it's supposed to be the vision, Richard Donner's vision of the movie um, as it was right. originally conceived. Right. If if um, you know if they he continued to be director. For two, since they already put that in one, I don't know 
if his version of two would have had it or maybe if he right. sticked on as director that wouldn't have been in one and it only been in two but that's just the way it is right and yeah but no, no i, I think i think you have I'll, a copy don't you have a copy of the donner cut i do i do have a copy of it i, I highly right. recommend I it. watching it at some point just um because it's interesting like i said um it's it's not like a really this isn't like a blades runner situation where it's like like an actual director's cut where it feels like an actual movie still feels like more of a work print but it's interesting um okay. yeah um yeah. no it it sounds like it'd be worth the watch and i i definitely want to get to it sometime um yeah so i will i just it just hearing about the production troubles behind this movie is just kind of ridiculous it, i know it it's just like you think the stuff uh, with justice justice league no i would say well that's actually probably a better example i was gonna say it reminds me of uh bohemian rhapsody oh yeah yeah because that was with um brian singer but no no justice league um and and sort of the same way they're like recreating things um yeah uh-huh. that's a good comparison now that the the Snyder cut is was actually never a thing, so they actually have to film it to make it a thing. Right. So there is no <laughs> release. You know, release Snyder cut is just a lie of just reshoots and mm-hmm. new content. But I I digress. Yeah. Um, um. But you have before we close. Um. Out of the Superman movies that you've seen, where would you rank this one? Well, I also have not seen. Like I've I've seen parts of three. I've not seen any of four that I can remember. Um, let's see. I, you, you know, I've got a, a special place in my heart for Superman Returns. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and originally I did really enjoy Man of Steel, but I've grown colder on it over time. Um, I still think that I would place this as the second best. I like the original Superman just a bit more. Um, and maybe that's just because they, because it is more of an origin story and I, I tend to like those. Um, so I'd say this is probably my second favorite, um, with Superman Returns rounding out the top three. Uh, what about you? I'm gonna say I'm pretty similar. Um, well, actually I'm going to say Superman this is going to surprise you. I think my second favorite is Superman Returns. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a movie I have to watch again. But, you know, it was, it was a movie that I found uh, entertaining. Uh, then it would be... It's, it's tough to pick between the Donner Cut and the original. So I'll just put Superman 2 because they both have things I like and both have things I dislike. Um, and then probably Man of Steel. And then I guess both at the bottom for us would be Batman versus Superman, which in some ways is more of a Batman movie. It's it's a movie that doesn't know what it is. but <laughs> So yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that was Superman 2. Uh, anything else you... Uh, you want to say about the movie? You want to have any, you know, insights into Clark and Lois's relationship now that you can relate uh, as a as a married man? 
<laughs> um, I, I don't think I've got the uh, the kiss of regretfulness any other power, so I don't think that really applies. Um, the the I guess the one thing um, I do want to say about this movie and kind of wrapping up is that I think there is this notion that Superman is a boring character and especially a um, a more earnest, a more um, innocent, not innocent, but um, like this idealistic version of Superman that you see in Christopher Reeve uh, portrayal is not, it's, it's unrelatable. And I find that to be such a terrible read of who the character is. And I think it's one of the, the problems with um, Zack Snyder's portrayals of Superman. Um, and this is by no means a, a groundbreaking or uh, novel uh, commentary, but just this idea that Superman has to be gritty or like you have to add these different angles to Superman to make him more compelling. I think that, um, yes, you know, I'd, I'd love to see more of Superman's inner uh, thoughts and more of his uh, conflict and you know what it's like for him to have to balance this double life but to say that a superman with this kind of heart in this kind of um you know this this soft side to him and this this caring for people is boring just really irks me and i think superman doesn't just, have to be batman yeah they should be different characters yeah, I, I think it just it goes to a. I, I think it says more about the critics making those points than it does about the content itself, and so I think if, if people continue to 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 believe that, they really need to go back and and watch um, Christopher Reeve's performances in, in both of these movies and um, just remind themselves of like no, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with uh, with kind of small town uh kind of a geeky um really earnest superman like it's it's a good thing and it's and it's something that you know <laughs> considering how dark movies can get and how i mean the dceu is getting and has been um you know i i'd say it's it's something that still is relevant and and still should be explored so yeah and, and for that much I'm, I'm glad we uh revisit this one so it reminded me of some of the things that i really enjoy about superman oh yeah totally so that was a that was a long rant um <laughs> it, any other closing thoughts for you uh just that i'm gonna have to watch superman three and four at some point i know four is considered one of the worst movies ever uh <laughs> so that should be fun I believe they're both on HBO Max, so you know, you have go. to has to watch what I can before the Snyder cut drops. Right. Yeah, I guess that's still later in 2021. I don't know. I don't I have mixed feelings. Like I don't particularly care, but I might watch it. Um, but if it's as long as I've heard it is, like 4 hours long, I probably It's, it's supposed it. to be split in the episodes, but I digress whatever um but yeah so that was our conversation on superman 2 for its 40th anniversary um 
Aaron, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. And um, do you have anything um, that you're writing for the site or um, do you want to tell people where they can find your work that you have written? Uh, I'm not writing anything right now. Um, I am, I, you know, trying to come up with our, you know, last few podcasts for this year. Um, and then I'll have to look for what we're going to do next year. Um, if you want to uh, follow me on Twitter, I'm at Aaron Sarnecki. Well, um, yeah, I also really don't have anything that I'm writing right now. I will have a, um, a couch potato article uh, most likely written for, for this month. I took uh, October off because I was getting married, so I uh, was a little occupied. Um, but I will probably have one of those coming up sometime early in November. Um, and then you can find um, the rest of my work and the other podcasts I do at Josh Renecki. Um I'm set to record a, uh, a TV break uh, podcast with Bill and Alex later today. So um, that will also be heading to your uh, podcast feed soon. Uh, but as always, for the latest um, TV and movie news, reviews, interviews, as well as the latest information on your favorite comics, video games, and music, please head to thepopbreak.com where you can find all that content and more. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast.